Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49. We're going to continue uh, where we were last Sunday morning. Uh, this is kind of part two. The title is The Lion and the Lamb. Last week we talked about the lamb. This week we're going to talk about the lion. Who would have guessed it? <laughs> that was funny. You can laugh. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8 is where we'll start. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion he shall rouse him up. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And until unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now turn over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the sun, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. <clears throat> and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. I'm going to stop right there. Now this line that I want to talk to you about today, obviously it's, it's Jesus. And last week we talked about, just to kind of recap, how Jesus came first as the Lamb. And this Lamb represented the sacrifice that, that He made for us. And you know, if you look back in... And all through the Old Testament, you'll see how they sacrifice lambs all the time for remission of sins. The Word tells us that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And that the lamb represented something. Now what did it represent? It represented Jesus. It was a perfect picture of Him. And, and you know, they didn't just pick any lamb. I've told you all this last week, but I want everybody to be caught up. They didn't just pick any lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb, one without spot or blemish. And that was a, a perfect representation of Jesus and what He came to do. But, you know, this Scripture we just read in Revelations talks about another picture of Jesus, and that's the line of the tribe of Judah. And, I, you know, I found it interesting that, that when the elders told John to look, he said, look, 
Behold, the, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book. But then when John looked, what did he see? He saw, he saw this slain lamb, this lamb that was offered as a sacrifice. Now, the line... I want to give you a little bit of understanding of what Revelation is talking about here. The, the line always represents... Uh, it's used to represent royalty. And, and uh, you know, you think of courage when you think about a lamb, a line. But this line of the tribe of Judah, you know, we read this scripture back in Genesis, and <clears throat> Judah was a man. So when they say the line of the tribe of Judah, this. He's talking about the descendants of Judah. Judah was always in power. It was always given uh, the control. And that all points to Jesus. It all points to His authority. When you look in Revelations, it talks about the seven horns. Seven is the perfect number of God. And horns represent, uh, a horn always represents a king. So it means that He's the perfect king. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Courage is defined as the ability to do things which one finds frightening. You know, some I read several definitions that I didn't like when I read the definitions of courage. Because many times people define courage as the ability to do something when you're not afraid. And I don't think that's always the case. You know, I, there was a time in the garden when Jesus said, if, it, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. So that tells me that maybe there was a, a little bit of apprehension there. But nevertheless, He had the courage to go on and do it anyway. Even in the face of whatever thing may have come up before Him, He still went ahead and did it. It didn't matter how afraid he may have been in his, in his flesh, the, the natural part of him. He still went ahead and made himself that sacrifice. So the first time Jesus came to this earth... Is this too loud? Alright. The first time Jesus came to this earth, He came as a lamb. But He's going to come back again. And when He does, He's coming as a lion. And let's think about this for a minute. Let's think about some of the characteristics of a lion. You know, the, the lion is called the king of, of the beast. You won't find anything in nature that is willing to go up against a lion. And you can even look at, at elephants and, and things that are, you know, many times the size of a lion, but they, they don't want to mess with the lion. If a lion kills something and he takes his prey, there's not something that's going to come and try to take it away from him. When you look at what Jesus did, I told you this last week, He came as a lamb, but when, when He uh, died on the cross, what did He do first? The Word says before He ascended, He first descended. And He led captivity captive. He went in and took something. He took those captives that were in hell with Him. Satan wouldn't dare try to take them back. 
When he has laid claim on something, it's, it's his. That's why they call him the lion. That's why they, they call him the king of kings. Because, you know, there's many kings of this world. There have been throughout, throughout the ages, there's been king after king after king. But there's, those are all temporary. It don't matter how long they lived on this earth. It's all temporary. But He is the King of kings. He he has an eternal kingdom. It's not something temporary of this world. It's it's outside of the bounds of time. His kingdom is, is for all eternity. That's why you can call Him the King of kings because everyone will submit to Him. The Word says that there's going to come a time when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was made Lord because of what He did as a lamb. He came as a lamb, but He's coming back as a lion. That lion has has all power. Everything is under His feet. The Word says that the earth is His footstool. That is evidence of, of how great He is. You know... The Jews had this expectation of a Messiah that would come and and restore them to what they felt was their rightful position. They they had this this ideal of this Messiah that would come and and pull them out of the bondage they were in and pull them uh, from all the oppression they had seen. You know, you look through the Word, you'll find time after time that the Israelites fell under rule of some other country. They were, in, they were oppressed by king after king. So they longed for this. And at the time Jesus came, they were under the Romans. But you know, they were thinking very short-sighted. They were thinking about the, the natural realm. They were thinking about this world and everything it had to offer. But they weren't thinking about that eternal kingdom. They didn't, they didn't know that, that the Messiah was first going to come as a lamb. Because we know we needed, we needed something to redeem us. Now you look at the history, you'll see that kings didn't become kings just because they wanted to sit on a throne. Somebody desired to be a king because they wanted to uh, conquer. They wanted to take possession of something. We needed a king to redeem us. But it wasn't for material things. It wasn't for temporary things of this world. We needed somebody that could save us from ourselves, from our sin, everything that that had sent us to death. Everything that had punished us. The punishment that we deserve, we need somebody to save us from it. So we needed not some some natural king, some king of the world. We needed the king of kings. We needed this line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Oh, listen, let me tell you something. King David was awesome. He was uh, of this world king of kings. But we needed something outside of this world for us. That king doesn't do me any good when I leave this world. 
I need somebody that's on the other side, that's already making intercession for me. I need somebody that has access to something that a normal king of this world doesn't have access to. You know, if you look at kings throughout history, you'll see that many times, I'm not going to say all of them, but many times they took advantage of those that were subordinate to them. Many times the king would actually be the one that was oppressing his own people. They would tax them. They would take their women from them. They would take their children from them. They would take their land from them. But when we look at our king, Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't take from you. He gives to you. He gives to you abundantly more than you can ever ask or think. He, he is all sufficient. There's, there's no lack. Understand that this morning. There's no lack in him. If there's something you need, what does the word say? It says, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's because he's the king of kings. Because everything, every need that you might have, He has the answer for it. He came... To give us something that nobody else could give us. He came to give us eternal life. But I want you to understand something. We, we've talked quite a bit about the Lamb. He came, you know, last week we discussed the attributes of a Lamb, that a Lamb is meek and, and real kind of, you know, the word sheepish comes to mind. And that's where it comes from because, because the, they don't, they're not confrontational like a lion. He came and offered Himself. But He did that so that He could come back as a lion. So He could come back and set up His kingdom. Because without us, there wouldn't be a kingdom. There would be no point. He desired to have us in His family. He desired to, to bring us back and redeem us. I told you last week that you'll find no other place that you'll see one person compared to a lamb and a lion. They're so different. You would almost say that they're at odds with each other. They're just so far apart in their attributes. But yet in Revelation, like I read you all ago, they, the elders, those that were already on the eternal side, those that had already been transformed, they were no longer flawed. They see Him as a lion. He's their king. But when John looked at Him, John hadn't passed on from this life yet. He's still flawed. 
He's still a human. He's, he has sin. He's a sinful person just like you and me. When he looked at him, what did he see? He saw that lamb that had been slain, that, that sacrificial lamb, the one that had covered all his sins. If you look on further in Revelations, you'll see when Jesus comes on that white horse, you need to read it. It's just wonderful the way that, that He's described. He's described as just majestic. He's on this white horse and he says it says He's clothed in white, but it says His vesture is dipped in blood. Even though He comes back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, there's still evidence of what He did. That, that sacrifice is still... He carries those scars. He's still... He's still who He was when He was here. How many times can you look back in history and find someone that did for their people like Jesus did? He took on everything. He took on all our sins. He he received punishment. And listen, those wounds are eternal. That ought to tell you something. What does that mean? Why, why are His wounds still with Him? Because we still sin. Because it's a reminder that what He did was not a one-time thing. What He did was what somebody else couldn't do. No one else could do is, is He made this eternal sacrifice. That's the kind of King we serve. The line of the tribe of Judah. Listen, I don't know how else to explain it today. I'm sure somebody with a degree, somebody that had studied Greek could probably go much deeper than I've went in it and explain the, the real symbolism behind this line. But all I'm here to do today is to tell you that, that Jesus is the King of kings. He is the at the same time the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world and at the same time He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one that prevails against all. He has, he has, he has defeated Satan and all of his other enemies. All of those demons that, that choose to, to be on that side. He's defeated them all. They are at His feet. You look through the Word and I've showed you before that Anytime Jesus, when He was on this earth, encountered one that was possessed, they would just begin. They would just fall down and, and begin to worship Him because they know who He is. Listen, that's one thing about the King of Kings that you will find nowhere else in history. You know, even the Jews at the time they were ruled by the Romans. They were under their control. But I have a feeling many of them wouldn't want to fall down and worship Caesar. There's a difference, isn't there? Just because somebody's in charge over you don't mean you feel compelled to worship them. But like I told you all ago, he's not a normal king. He is the king of all kings. And because He is just, because He is, is truthful, because there's no deception in Him, when He says, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it don't matter what side you fall on, you have to worship Him. Because that's who He is. 
Have I made my point? I want you all to understand that He's the perfect King. I want you to understand that because He's the perfect King, you don't have to feel like... You know, I remember as a kid, and probably not even as a kid, as as a young adult, there's many times that I would think, you know, if if I wasn't a Christian, I could just do what I wanted to do. Have you all ever thought that? Have you ever thought that, you ever kind of felt like maybe you were a little bit oppressed because you were a Christian? You didn't have liberty to just do what you wanted to do? Isn't that a crazy way to think? I don't know what's wrong with, with us to think that kind of stuff because you know what? We have total liberty. But because Jesus is our King... What did I say? I said He's the perfect King. The things that that He's commanded us not to do is for our best. He didn't tell you don't do them because I just don't like it. Because, you know, it just rubs me the wrong way, so I don't want you to do those things. No, He's telling you because it would behoove you not to go kill somebody. It, it would do you harm to... To sin against him. Understand that. It's, you know, when I tell my kids not to do something, most of the time it's for those reasons, but there's times I tell them not to do something just because they annoy me. That don't mean what they're doing is wrong. It just means they're on my nerves. That's not the way it is with God. When God tells you not to do something, it's because that is what's best for you. It's best for you not to do that. He always has your best interest in mind. That's because He's the perfect King. When when He makes a decree, it's, it's truth. His Word is truth. I want you to understand something that in the book of John, it says that the Word came. It tells you that Jesus is the Word. That the Word is Him. So when you read this Word, you're learning about Him. When you find out that that this Word is, is perfection. That there's no lie in it. It's all truth. And then you begin to understand that these things that I've been kind of holding against God because He said I couldn't do them. There's a reason why He said you can't do them. As you grow up, kids, y'all listen to me. As you grow up, you'll, you'll start to understand that the things your mom and dad told you not to do was not always just because you annoyed them. It was because they had a good reason. And sometimes when they say, because I said so, it's because it might be because you're too young to understand. Now listen to me, adults. 
Sometimes God will tell you because I said so. Why? Because He understands something that you can't possibly understand at this point in time. Have y'all ever had a situation like that where God said no? And you said, but why, God? Because we're whining kids just like our kids are. We want to whine to God and we want to say, well, why, God? I don't see anything wrong with it. And He'll say, because I said so. Now, you know, we'd still go do it anyway, can't we? My kids do that all the time. They'll go ahead and do it anyway. And then they'll come in there with a knot on their head. And I'll say, see? I told you not to do it. We're, we're, it it's just it amazes me how, how close those relationships are to our relationship with God. But we need to keep in mind that He's the perfect King. When He tells us no, He's got a good reason. He can see into all time. He sees everything from beginning to end. He, he knows when He created you how you were going to be. He chose where to place you because He has all knowledge. You know those, those seven eyes in Revelation? I told you a while ago, seven is the perfect number. That's, the, that's God's number. The seven eyes... And I guess, did I read that in verse 6? Yeah, I think I did. <clears throat> the seven eyes tell you about His knowledge, His wisdom. Because he, can, he knows all. He sees all. Not only is He the perfect King and, and He's perfect in His, His power and His authority, but He's also perfect in His knowledge and His wisdom and His, the way that He deals with you. His, his, he does things a certain way because He can see things you can't. He can see that when you do this, this, and this, it's going to cause this. It may be ten years down the road, but He knows. Why do you think the Word says, Lean not into your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him? It's because you don't know enough to see past the end of your nose. But He does. When you begin to put your faith and trust in God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, why, who else would you rather trust? We were given a perfect Savior. We were given uh, an opportunity for eternal life with the perfect God. You look at any other God that this world has to offer, you'll find fault. You know, even, even the people that may worship that God will tell you, well, no, that God can't handle all this. We've got to go to this God. Y'all ever seen that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you have to keep all that straight when you can just go to the one true God? The one that has all power, all knowledge, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 